Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Psalms chapter 66, we'll start at verse 10. The psalmist writes, For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidst affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. Let's read verse 12 again. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. Anybody ever felt like that in your life where people were just riding over your heads, afflicting, trampling you? The psalmist goes on, we went through fire and through water. Anybody ever felt like that? Everything's burning down all around you? Where the waters are rising so high? But he didn't stop there because the psalmist knew that that's not how his story ends. And so he continues to write to encourage us in 2022 when he says, But thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. Amen. Can we, can we worship God before we're seated today? God, you're so good to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us through, Lord. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy to us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that, that you're not deaf to our cries, Lord, that your arm is not too short, that you can't heal and touch and move, Lord, in our midst, in our situation. Thank you, mighty God, that you're attentive to our needs. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of God that's in this place today, Lord. Thank you for baptisms here today, God. Let the Word go forth and speak to us, charge us, convict us, encourage us today. Lord, let us hear the Word today with conviction. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I read a story this week about a man named R.U. Darby, who was caught up by the gold fever in the days when men and women were heading westward to search of fortune. Darby dreamed of digging deep and growing rich, so he staked a claim and went to work with a pick and a shovel. After weeks of labor, finally, he was rewarded by the discovery of this shining ore. Now, he needed machinery to bring the ore to the surface, so quietly, he covered up the mine, retraced his footsteps back to Williamsburg, Maryland, and told his relatives and a few neighbors of the strike of a lifetime. And he impressed them with a gold nugget even that he brought home from his dig. They all pulled together and got money for the needed machinery and they had it shipped out to the mine. 
And with the necessary equipment procured, Darby went back to work. The first car of ore was mined and shipped to a smelter. The returns proved they had one of the richest mines in Colorado. A few more cars of that ore would clear the debts, and then would come the big killing profits. Down went the drills, and up went the hopes of Darby and all his associates. Then, one day, something unexpected happened. The vein of gold it disappeared. They had come to the end of their proverbial rainbow, and the pot of gold was no longer there. They drilled on, desperately trying to pick up the vein again, all to no avail. Finally, they decided to throw in the towel. Darby was discouraged and at this point, deep in debt. He sold the machinery to a local junk man for a few hundred dollars, bought a train ticket, headed back home. The junk man decided to investigate a little further and he called in a mining engineer to look at the mine, do a little calculating, give his opinion. The engineer came on site did all of his tests, ran the necessary equipment through the process and came back to him and said that the project had failed because the previous owners were not familiar with fault lines. His calculations showed that the gold vein would be found just three feet from where Darby had stopped drilling. If you would, Megan, put up that graphic. The man took the advice of the engineer and started up the machines. Amazingly, that is exactly where it was found. The junk man took millions of dollars in ore from the mine because he knew enough to seek expert counsel before giving up. Meanwhile, Darby was known around those parts of Colorado from then on as the man who quit too soon. The man who quit too soon. I don't know if this is exactly Mr. Darby. I don't think they had memes in his day, but I think this is an accurate depiction of exactly the story we're referring to. See, I'd like to allow God to speak to us today for just a few moments on the subject, let the faithful say no. Let the faithful say no. I feel like today that there may be someone here who has come today who is fighting for their life. Maybe somebody here who has given it everything they've got. Someone who may be in the habit of giving up and you're trying to break that pattern. Maybe there's someone who is here or watching online perhaps. You've held on for so long. You've contemplated giving up and giving in and walking away from it all because things have just gotten too hard. In the middle of throwing punches every single day and wrestling anything and everything in your path just to keep it together, you're at the point of breaking. If that's you today, please hold on and allow God to speak to your spirit to speak to your weariness because I know he has a word directed right toward your situation. 
I'd like to encourage us today to remember why we fight. There are perhaps no greater words in Texas history than remember the Alamo. It was Thursday, April 21st, 1836. General Sam Houston disposed his forces in battle order about 3.30 in the afternoon. Everything on the Mexican side was quiet during the afternoon siesta. So the Texans' movements were screened by trees and the rising ground. And evidently, General Santa Ana had no lookouts posted. The battle lines were formed. Edward Burleson's regiment was in the center. Sherman's on the left wing. The artillery under George Hockley on Burleson's right. The infantry under Henry Millard on the right of the artillery and the cavalry under Lamar on the extreme right. The cannons were so eloquently dubbed the twin sisters, and they were wheeled into position. And the whole line, led by Sherman's men, sprang forward on the run with this cry, Remember the Alamo. Remember Goliad. For an encounter that perhaps some may have anticipated being lopsided the other way, as Santa Ana had, some estimates say, roughly 1,500 men to Houston's 900, the battle lasted 18 minutes. According to General Houston's official report, the casualties were 630 enemies killed and 730 taken prisoner. Against this, only nine of Houston's men were killed or mortally wounded because they remembered why they were fighting. In our text in Psalms chapter 66, we read that, unfortunately, God sometimes allows troubles to come. Sometimes we don't like to admit it that God is truly that much in control when he allows troubles to come in our life. Sometimes we like to blame the devil for everything. Well, something bad happened or, or, or something isn't right, so it must be from the enemy. But the psalmist says, sometimes God allows these things to come into our lives. In verse 12, he tells us, this is often how I've seen them come. He said he allows the troubles to come by men or by fire or by water. And if we're honest with ourselves today, Calvary, during times of struggle, we probably think too much about the issue in front of us instead of the reason of why we're in the battle in the first place. Maybe we can be guilty of transferring the issue onto the person involved and begin to change our approach to one that sees an individual instead of the root cause. In examining the dangers that are mentioned by the psalmist, there are a few things, just a few things perhaps, that are more dangerous than fire and water. But in looking at these two elements, there are some similarities as they come into our world. Both fire and water can be unpredictable. Both fire and water can be unstoppable. And they both can be all-consuming. Does that sound like any danger you've encountered in your world? Does that sound like any problem you've come here today overwhelmed by? A trial that feels like it's consuming you. An unpredictable fire that's wrecking your mind and your thoughts. A problem that gives you the sense of drowning, one where you just can't seem to get your head above water. 
Maybe a trial that is relentless and never-ending and won't seem to let up. I wonder if Ruth had given up at the first rejection from Naomi. Would we be talking about her faithfulness today in the lineage of David and Jesus Christ? If David had given up the first time Saul had thrown a javelin at him, would we still have a picture of faithfulness to look back on in David's life? If Noah, if Noah had given up after more than a hundred years of waiting for rain, And a hundred years of ridicule from those he lived amongst. How would history be different regarding how God saved him and his family from the flood? As pastor delivered us the word recently, I have to agree there are no coincidences with God. And our text shows us why we keep fighting. Because in verse 10, God is refining us. God is continually refining us like an unblemished slab of marble. He's chipping away to make us into a beautiful image to reflect His glory. With every hardship, with every fire, with every flood, with every roadblock that seems to hinder our progress, God's in the business of molding a life that perhaps others may have discarded. And taking that life from one that others have discarded into a force to be reckoned with. For his kingdom. I think about the incredible family we have here at Calvary who embody this day in and day out. There are some here who are teaching Bible studies or take root. There are some who speak to those in the jail ministry or those at Millwood. Whether you're witnessing at school or at work, teaching children, picking them up on the bus, whatever the role you play, each one of us are pressing forward through the refining process in our lives to make a difference in someone else's. Solomon speaks in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 that the race is not to the swift. And I believe Jesus was following up those words in Matthew chapter 24 when he said, He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You see, as God allows struggles to enter your world, remember it's part of that refining process. So why are you fighting? What is the reason you're fighting today, young adult? What is the reason you're fighting today, parent, grandparent, teacher? What is the reason you're fighting today? I would ask you to remember why you are still in this fight and let the faithful say no. Let the faithful say no to the enemy whispering in your ear that you can't take another step. Let the faithful say no to the trial who thinks it's got you beat. Let the faithful say no to the anxiety that's threatened to end you and to do you in. Let the faithful here today at Calvary say no to the exhaustion that's plagued your body and your mind seeking the relief of quitting. Church, it's not time to allow all your hard work and all your faithfulness to be undone when you could just be three feet from your breakthrough, three feet from the miracle that God has in your life. I would ask you today to let the faithful rise and say no. No to giving up on God. No to the dark days. No to the enemy who would defeat you. No, no, no. You see, if Darby had not quit, but just paused. If he had just taken a step back 
evaluated the situation. Maybe if he would have looked around and said, who can I bring on to help me get where I need to go? If he would have just sought advice from someone who knew the land, someone who had done the drilling before, worked with that machinery before, understood the layout of how and where and when. If he had just talked to someone who knew how to get him to the next point in his pursuit, perhaps his ending would look much differently. As that story alludes to our next point of seeking expert counsel, this is evident that it's an uphill battle for the church in this world. 1 Kings chapter 12 tells the story of King Rehoboam who, quote, forsook the counsel of the old men. Isn't that indicative of our culture today? Who has shifted to treasure more the youth and discard the expert counsel age and experience brings. How can I say this? How do I know this? Just look around our country at the dismantling of landmarks and traditions. Just look at how trust and feelings and gender ideologies are being turned into standards of education as certain lines of thought seek to deconstruct the family, the role and importance of men, and disrespect authority in children as young as four years old. Paul warns us of the ungodly and unrighteous culture in both Romans and 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as you read those passages of Scripture, it was almost as though God had opened up a window into the future. It, it's almost like God, God looked way into the future and brought Paul with him into 2022. And he penned what he witnessed we're going through. In Romans chapter 1, verse 22, he writes, Professing to be wise, they became fools. You can continue reading on the rest of that chapter, but Paul continues to describe their behavior, which is literally verbatim to what we're seeing in our society today. And it stretches beyond the behavior. It stretches beyond the actions. And we have to be aware of the language that's creeping in. Pay careful attention, mom and dad, to the way things are worded today towards your children. Pay careful attention to the things that are trying to influence them and the things that are trying to establish their morality the things that are trying to impact their integrity. Moms and dads, pay careful attention because it will be packaged in something that sounds so grand, something that sounds close to what the Bible has to say. Very, very similar when you put it up against it. It's almost like you can't tell. But sometimes today, even I'll hear a song or a video I'll watch or I'll catch a conversation and I'll think, that doesn't mean what you think it means. One of those newest phrases culture has adopted is, quote, your truth. They tell our young people, speak your truth. They tell us on the job, speak and live your truth. They're trying to influence the church today by saying, don't be ashamed of your personal truth. And it's no wonder why we are seeing such a moral decline in our culture when everyone walking around has their own version of truth in their head. How can I tell you your truth is wrong? That's your truth. How can I deliver to you the truth when you have your own truth? How can I influence you with something that is absolute 
when there are things that are just so relative that are more in vogue and in style and in fashion today. Society is not helping us, Calvary. If it's the case where truth is relative, how can we counsel them? And how can we seek that expert counsel and advice from others when they don't know the truth that is in our head? How, you ask, is society influencing us to create our own personal version of truth? Through millions of so-called experts on social media channels. They're on things such as YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. And also the impact of those influences is creeping into and wooing away the church and some apostolics who in turn at this point have found some never-ending fountain of boldness. And they speak out about the chains they're free from now. Moms and dads understand this is what's happening today in our world. Understand we can't give our children free reign of social media because you never know what kind of distorted view of truth is going to go across their feed. What kind of innocent video is going to pop up and it's going to shape their thinking and it's going to pull away from truth. We have to be more diligent than ever, teachers, parents, young people. You have to have a resolved young adults. You have to have a Bible filter every time you pull something up. Just because it sounds like truth doesn't mean it is truth. Just because it makes you feel warm and fuzzy doesn't mean it's in this book. Just because it makes other people smile and be accepted and laugh and get it, lots of likes and shares doesn't mean it's what Jesus Christ said. He told the disciples, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. We can't be caught up with getting this distorted in our world today. It's dangerous for any of us, but it's mostly dangerous for children because they're still forming that truth. They're still forming their morality. They're still forming their understanding of scripture, of truth, of holiness. We need your counsel, moms and dads, grandparents, elders, Sunday school teachers. It's never been more important for your voice to be in our ears. We need your wisdom as we depend on you to show us how not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust in God, to seek him first and his righteousness. I pray today, Calvary, that we collectively have a renewed love for our elders, our leaders who have walked through some things and gained the expert counsel that we need today to say, just keep drilling. Your breakthrough, your victory could be just three feet away. If we haven't expressed it enough, elders, you still have value and we still need your voice in our lives. Don't be discouraged today, elders. Don't believe your time of being able to make a difference is over. Don't believe we just expect you to be here every service and just occupy a place on the pew. We need your voice. We need your wisdom. We need you to put your arm around us and encourage us. We need you to make sure that we're on the right path. We need you to say, don't turn from the right or don't turn from the left. We need you to say, it was good enough for me and it's good enough for you. We need you to say, hang in there. We need you to say, don't quit. We need you to say, don't give up. We need you to say no to us sometimes. Thank you. Thank you, elders, for being a voice in our lives today. Furthermore, we cannot disgrace ourselves from the priority of prayer. Too often we do not seek direction from God in prayer because there are so many other options who can provide a quicker answer. I'm guilty of that as well because typically that quicker option, that answer to my prayer 
is my own abilities, my own skills, my own wisdom. We talked about it in class just a bit ago, but I have a tendency sometimes, and for those of you who are adamant about control, you understand what I'm saying when God decides to delay and to stay quiet for some time, I get anxious. And I say, God, you must have not heard me. And you must have missed the door and walked right on by. I, I know you're probably helping someone else out. I don't want to bother you. So because you've given me so much wisdom, because you've given me so much understanding, I'll just go ahead and open the door for you. It's so much quicker and easier because I know you're busy with somebody else's more complicated problem. I just need you to answer something small for me. I don't know which key on the key ring it is, but I'll figure it out. So while you're busy, God, I'll just go ahead and I'll just figure it out on my own. Instead of saying, God, I know you're silent for a reason. I know you're delaying the answer for a purpose. I have a tendency to kick the door in myself. I justify that because God is quiet and my impatience, I turn to other avenues as a first resort. And so the next time I think, well, that was easy. I'll just do it again. And before I know it, I've made three, four, five decisions. And not once have I asked God for his wisdom and his help. Our first resort turns into our last resort. I've got this backwards. And if that's you, we've got this backwards. It's time that we flip the script on that, to slow down and seek expert counsel from the voice of God. Even going into a Sunday service, it's necessary for us to heed the voice of God. That's why prayer, before we ever step foot on this platform, to play, to sing, to lead, to teach, to preach. It's paramount to the move of God in our midst. If we truly want to hear the voice of God, if we truly want the anointing of God to flow through the songs, if we truly allow God and what we desire for Him every service to do, to have His way in this service, then we've got to seek His counsel and prayer before service. Yes, practice. Yes, study. But we got to get on our knees and say, God, I put in my time. Now, God, I'm giving you over to you. Now, God, you see what's before us. God, you see the resistance that's before us in the spiritual realm. God, you know things beyond my comprehension. God, you know people who are going to be here that I have no idea who are going to be here. God, I need your wisdom. I need your anointing. I need your leading in this service. If you want to see God work the miraculous, then we've got to seek his counsel on what notes to play, what songs to sing, what words to speak. If we don't, we're in danger of missing what God has for us in each service. And furthermore, just like we do in the natural sense, we'll get comfortable with our abilities. And it'll be three, four, five services and we've never visited our knees and we've never seen a prayer room. And then what'll happen is we'll get a, break, a great service, and people will get the Holy Ghost, and people will get baptized, and will say, that was all because of my abilities. That was all because of my intellect and my study. I don't need to pray anymore. We take how we work 
outside of church and we can bring it into the walls of Calvary. Let's not be guilty of that Calvary. Let's not be guilty of that Calvary. Let's hold one another accountable, Calvary. I know I'm not your pastor, and I hope I'm not overstepping here, but, but I pray that if you see me dis, d- distracted and, and, and running around all crazy during prayer time, I pray that you nudge me and say, hey, let's go pray together. I pray that if you see the young people or the young adults, elders come grab them by the arm and say, let's pray for a few minutes before you get up there and sing. Our praise team did, did amazing today. Grant, you did awesome over here. Young people, you did great leading us in worship today. But if we're too busy running around and anxiety is going on in our minds and we can't even pray, then we're going to fall flat up here. We need the anointing of God on every song. We need the anointing of God on every verse that we sing. We need the anointing of God in everything that we do, church. Can you clap your hands today? God, I worship you. God, I need you. Help us to seek the expert counsel of your wisdom. Mighty God. And that expert counsel, and what that is, why we're fighting all of this can be found on the other side. The other side, it's a pretty interesting phrase. And last year, as our quizzers were studying the book of Mark, I started looking through familiar phrases and I, I ran across this phrase in their study. Five instances in the book of Mark, we find this term, this phrase, the other side. Mark chapter 4, if you'll go there with me, media team. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says, In the same day, when the even was come, he, meaning Jesus, saith unto them, meaning the disciples, let us pass over unto the other side. In Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, the disciples and Jesus, this is talking about, into the country of the Gadarenes. Further in that chapter, chapter 5, verse 21, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45, we read, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before and to Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And finally, in Mark chapter 8, verse 13, and Jesus left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. What does this have anything to do, Brother Tim, with what you're talking about today? What does this have anything to do with saying no and not quitting? Well, as I studied out these scriptures and I looked a little more deeply, every single instance had something consistent with the others. Every single situation, there was a problem that was encountered in every area. In Mark chapter 4, it's the story of them running into the storm, Eurachlodon. In Mark chapter 5, verse 1, that's where they entered into the land of Gadara and Jesus healed a demoniac. In Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it's where Jesus healed Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of blood. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it's the story of him coming to them, walking on the water and saving Peter from drowning. And in Mark chapter 8, he ran into a blind man and he healed him. In every situation, there was a problem. And every single account and the stories that you'll read in Mark's writings here, 
you'll find that Jesus encouraged the disciples to go to the other side. And if you believe in Jesus as I do, and you know that he is God Almighty, Jesus knew the problems that they would face. He knew the problems and the situations that he would run into on the other side. Jesus already knew when he said, I'm telling you to go to the other side. He knew what the other side consisted of. And every single situation, Jesus knew that he would have to step in. And in every single instance, Jesus was with the disciples. In every single situation in your life, when Jesus asks you to walk a certain path, he's not asking you to walk alone. And every single door he asks you to go through, he already knows what's on the other side. And every single situation, he knows it's not going to be fun and it's not going to often be pretty. But he already has an answer for the storm. He can already step in between you and the storm and say, peace, be still. When you're scrambling around the boat, trying to figure out how you're going to calm the winds and the waves on your own. He already knows that you've been dealing with an issue of blood, ma'am, for 12 years. And he already knows that virtue is going to leave him, but he doesn't care. He's okay with healing your body. He already knows, Jairus, that he's going to just speak the word and your daughter is going to be healed. Even though you're racking your brain, how do I tell my wife? How do I go on? tomorrow. I can never, never hold her again. I can never hug her again. He already knows that he's going to have to go on a rescue mission to get you, Peter. He already knows there's going to be doubts and there's going to be fears. There's going to be complications. Church, what I'm trying to tell you today is he already knows about the other side. He already knows about the problems. He already knows about the situations you're going to encounter that you can't solve on your own. He's not afraid of a storm. He's not afraid of a little disease. He's not afraid of a rescue mission. He's not afraid of healing when nobody else can do it, when the doctors can't do it, and he's not afraid of your situation today. He's not afraid of your bills. He's not afraid of your doctor's report. He's not afraid of the uncertainty. He's not afraid of the depression. He's not afraid of the fear in your mind. He's not afraid whatever you brought in here today with. He's not afraid of it, and he already knows how to take care to get you to the other side. Sometimes it's unexpected. You think I'm going to the other side with Jesus and nothing can go wrong. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Eurachlodon rears its ugly head and your boat starts rocking. And you've never encountered these type of waves before. You've been in a storm before, but you've never been in a Eurachlodon storm. I wasn't prepared for this, God. I didn't know this storm was going to crop up here. The winds were calm. There were no waves. The water was still. Everything was going according to plan. Sometimes, like the woman with the issue of blood, you're in the crowd too, and you see somebody else get a blessing, and you think God's forgotten about you. Sometimes you feel like every single message is straight for you, and you pray, and you seek God, and you say, Lord, let it be today that I get my answer. Let it be today that you work a miracle. And you look across the church, 
And it's one of our brothers and sisters who's getting a breakthrough. And you get discouraged. God, do you even know that I'm here? Sometimes you think you're losing your mind. And you think that nothing else in this world can calm the fear and the anxiety that's going on. Sometimes you think that everybody in church has forgotten you. No one even knows that you need a healing. Sometimes you believe there are no options and there are no alternatives. Well, I haven't struck gold in a while, so I guess the only alternative is to give up. Well, I haven't got a blessing in a while. Well, the message wasn't for me in a while. Well, it was, must have been for somebody else, so God's not speaking to me. Sometimes we go through these seasons of life where it feels like God's calling us to go to the other side, to go through a door we've never gone through before, but we don't understand how everything is going to work out. We don't understand what it is about the other side. And every situation that we read in Mark's encounters and Mark's writings here, going to the other side was, and today still is, done with Jesus in the boat. Even if it feels like he may be sleeping and he doesn't care about your storm, even if he told you to go on ahead and you didn't know he was going to meet you in the middle of a storm, but here he comes just walking on the water, doing the supernatural Every single time when they got to the other side, Jesus was in the boat. The Bible says he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Sometimes he does work when you can see, when you see the wind stop. And sometimes he does work when you can't see. When you just have to go to the doctor and the doctor says, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. Last week the report showed this. Today the report shows this. Sometimes that's how God's work. But in every situation, if you just get to the other side, if you just say, God, I'm going with you to the other side. God, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to go back to the other shore. I'm not going to turn around because of a little turbulence. I'm not going to worry about the trouble. I'm just going to keep going to the other side. Either way, he's still the God of the breakthrough. He's still a miracle working God. And he's still in the boat with you. So whatever you do, get to the other side. Hallelujah. I'm closing if you would stand with me. As I began to study and search for things that could relate to the topic and the point today, I, I couldn't help but, but search out a specific story. And if you would, humor me for a moment to read to you. I, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I cut out a little bit. But I want to read to you a speech from October 29th, 1941, Prime Minister Winston Churchill's address to Harrow School. He says this, The ten months that have passed have seen very terrible, catastrophic events in the world. Ups and downs, misfortunes. But can anyone sitting here this afternoon not feel deeply thankful for what has happened in the time that has passed and for the very great improvement in the position of our country and of our home? Why, when I was here last time, we were 
quite alone, desperately alone. And we had been for five or six months. We were poorly armed, but we are not so poorly armed today. We had the unmeasured menace of the enemy and their air attacks still beating upon us. And you yourselves had had experience of this attack. And I expect you are beginning to feel impatient that there has been this long lull with nothing particular turning up. But we must learn to be equally good at what is short and sharp and what is long and tough. It is generally said that the British are often better at the last. They do not expect to move from crisis to crisis. They do not always expect that each day will bring up some noble chance of war. But when they very slowly make up their minds that the thing has to be done and the job put through and finished, then, even if it takes months, if it takes years, they do it. Another lesson I think we may take, just throwing our minds back to our meeting here ten months ago and now, is that appearances are very often deceptive. You cannot tell from appearances how things will go. Sometimes imagination makes things out far worse than they are. Yet without imagination, not much can be done. Those people who are imaginative see many more dangers than perhaps exist. Certainly many more than will happen. But then they must also pray to be given that extra courage to carry this far-reaching imagination. But for everyone, surely what we have gone gone through in this period... Surely from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in. Except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We stood all alone a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished. All this tradition of ours, our songs, our school history, this part of the history of this country were gone and finished and liquidated. Very different is the mood today. Britain, other nations thought, had drawn a sponge across her slate. But instead, our country stood in the gap. There was no flinching and no thought of giving in. And by what seemed almost a miracle to those outside these islands, though we ourselves never doubted it, we now find ourselves in a position where I say that we can be sure that we have only to persevere to conquer. Do not let us speak of darker days. Let us speak rather of sterner days. These are not dark days. These are great days. The greatest days our country has ever lived. And we must all thank God that we have been allowed, each of us, according to our stations, to play a part in making these days memorable in the history of the human race. What I'm hoping to convey to you is simple. Let the faithful say no. The way Winston Churchill said it was, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 
never and nothing, great or small, large or petty. Never give in. Don't give up. You could just be three feet from a breakthrough. It may have been 10 months or 10 years that this fight has been raging in your world. You may have felt all alone in the fight. You may have felt poorly armed, ill-equipped to fight the battle that you're fighting. You may have felt like the whole world wrote you off and didn't give you a chance. But very different is the mood here today. Church, we're not focusing on darker days where we lost a few skirmishes and got knocked down. We're talking about sterner days today where we declare, rejoice not against me, O oh, mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I ask you today to let the faithful say no. I wish somebody here would say, enemy, you're not getting my children. I wish somebody here would say, no, you're not getting my joy. I wish somebody here today would say, no trial. You're not taking my sanity. I wish somebody would say, no, enemy, you're not making me quit on God. No storm, I'm not giving up on God. No difficulty, you're not going to win. The psalmist said we went through the fire. We went through the water. David said in Psalm 23, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil. Psalms 124 too says when men rose up against us, the Lord was on our side. I wish somebody today would get out from where you are. We'll look your trials straight in the face. We'll look the dark days that have been in the past behind and say, I'm not looking at you anymore. I'm looking at sterner days. I wish somebody here would say no situation, no hardship. You're not going to make me quit. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to continue. I'm going to persevere. I wish somebody here would say no. I wish somebody here would be faithful and say no. I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm not turning around today. Hallelujah. Listen, as we begin to pray, we read it earlier, the outcome of us pressing through says God brought us, us out into a wealthy place. If Job had given up with all he went through, he wouldn't have found himself with a double blessing from God. If Jacob had let the angel go at the first sign of resistance, because the hour was later, his body was tired, he would never had his name changed. A wealthy place isn't a proclamation that God's going to send you a million dollars tomorrow. It could mean that he answers your prayers for a financial blessing, but it could be he brings you to a place today where you have peace in your mind for the first time in two years. Your wealthy place could be that your backslidden children pray through. Your wealthy place could be a healing in your body. Your wealthy place could be you've been struggling to believe God can fill you with the Holy Ghost. But today, the shackles are loose and God works a miracle and fills you with the Holy Ghost. That's the wealthiest we'll ever be, filled with God's Spirit on this earth. Hallelujah. Ultimately, we must keep the faith and let the faithful say no. We can't give up. We can't backslide. 
because we're looking forward to the wealthiest place ever created. When we don't give up, God will bring us to a wealthy place that he has created for us. When he told us in John chapter 14, I'm going to go away for just a little while. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If that's not a wealthy place, I don't know what is. He said there are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you and for you and for you and for you. Come on church, don't give up today. Come on, somebody get a breakthrough today. Come on, somebody dig three more feet today and get a breakthrough. Come on, somebody today believe God for your blacks and children. Come on, somebody today believe God for a miracle you've been praying for. Believe that God will work it out today in your mind. Believe that the generational curse is broken. Hallelujah.